I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lance and Rouge Cycling Podcast for Stage 7 of La Vuelta. And without pulling any punches, I think this is perhaps the worst Grand Tour stage we've ever watched uh, or covered, to be honest, in terms of Peloton appetite quality of the eventual sprint field and also some bad events happening during the stage nonetheless these stages fill up the grand tours and you know things happen so we're here it's from utl to olive olivia and they actually this is what's curious to me right there's been three pure bunch sprints in this welter mm-hmm. and even the punchy stage two wasn't that hard this is another one where the last 90k is a pancake flat listen if there was cross tailwind could have been carnage could have been very exciting there wasn't it was mostly headwind but they go through cuyera here where there was the punchy finish the you know the one court did court win or roglic won court won okay they go through that town and you could see the hill on the right and i was thinking we haven't had one of them we haven't had a 2k 10 percent finish uh in this first week i guess we had an uphill finish yesterday it's a consequence also of what happened to stage two you know because stage two was kind of that punchy finish and that took that out, but I do agree that there's been a lot of flat sprint stages without that necessarily spicy hill in the last 50 kilometers of spicing up a hill sta- a, a flat sprint stage. But when it comes to these flat sprint stage, would it even change too much about the riders fighting for it if you do have a hill in the last 25, 30 kilometers? Because I'd expect Groves to be there anyway. I think it makes it even more likely that Groves wins. Yeah. Uh, probably. I wouldn't mind. Yeah, maybe it'd be a breakaway stage. Have we had a stage for a... Normally in the first week of the Vuelta, there's also a stage with 5K, 6%, about 10, 12Ks from the finish, like the stage Soler one from the yeah. breakaway. We haven't had one of them either. Uh, I'm not complaining. I think overall there's actually been quite a lot of GC action. I'm just... It's a different route composition this year. It actually feels quite Tour de France-like to me. Yeah. Um, as in... But anyway, uh, today was another sprint. And as I already said, the wind did not come... Uh, into play to help us and they average like under 40 k's an hour for i think the they average just over 40 for the whole stage but the first two thirds of it was under 40 k's and our boy okamika he don't miss gets in the break again <laughs> exactly with jose herrera herrada so two riders in the breakaway yeah and you said it there's this this wind 40k max speed and so, so a bit of headwind in that sense and the reasoning is also for the breakaway riders who wants to ride an entire day up front Knowing that there were limited riders, Okamika <laughs> yeah. and Herada, Jose. So that's the breakaway for today. That's what we'll see all day in the breakaway. But stuff did happen. In the peloton, we had a crash. Geraint Thomas was on the side of the road at some point. I don't think his crash was too serious, but I guess we'll see in the coming days if there's some kind of consequence to that because sometimes the next day it doesn't hurt as much, but the second day afterwards it might be even more painful. When it comes to um, the actual action, there was an intermediate sprint planned, like you said, in Cuyera. And the thing with Kiera was that when I saw the, the roadmap, the roadbook, the intermediate sprint was supposed to be after, in the last 300 meters before the intermediate sprint, there was a 180 degree turn. Yeah. And then about a, a 150 degree turn in the span of 200 meters just before the intermediate sprint. Then that last turn was about 30, 40 meters before the actual intermediate sprint. And also in the middle of fucking nowhere. It was in yeah. front of like a random yellow house. You can see on the <laughs> like, it wasn't in the town. Exactly. But fortunately, fortunately in the stage itself, they have adapted that. It was on the bridge before those dangerous sections. So they looked after the safety. Not sure who to credit for that, whether your organization saw it or the UCI safety manager noticed it or someone else stepped in and noted it. But they did the right thing and made it safer. But when it comes to that sprint, Gross was there with Alpacin. I feel like there was some kind of quick step two riders at the front before the intermediate sprint started, but eventually Remco was not actually competing there. Roglic was not competing either. Ayuso was trying to compete in the wheel of Finn Fisher Black. Jonas Vingegaard was competing. Gross basically beat all of them. But when it comes to the second position, also Marie van den Berg, sprinter, 
But then the third position was between Vingegaard and not a Yuzo. He lost the wheel of Finn Fisher Black. Finn Fisher Black fighting it out. And Finn Fisher Black has been really good this week. As in, he's been top 40, top 30 on the, on the climbing stages when it comes to being it on Mystique and so forth. And been really strong in the Ordino stage and also on yesterday's stage. And he just came short on beating Vingegaard at his intermediate sprint. Just came short. I would like to see the actual photo finish, but... Doesn't exist. Probably doesn't exist. Like... Fan footage. There was, at some point, was it Raul Bancari that mentioned it at it the was, KOM? Well, his friends were filming in, on Monduic because they changed first day at the bonus sprint gate on top, which always, I think, was there, so that wasn't changed. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it was with 9Ks to go. On Monduic, which was in the original parkour, they didn't know who... What, what the order was so they asked the guys his friends that were filming uh who i met actually very nice guys and yeah to figure out the order which was kind of crazy um but yeah it was this was a nothing stage were you surprised by vingegaard sprinting kind of i would always Me see too, a yumbo yeah. that roglic would be the sprinty type but maybe they they see a different order in mind maybe they see yesterday and they think oh roglic looks a bit stronger right now so we want to try it with vingegaard instead so it was kind of surprising to me that Jonas was the one doing it, but he succeeded in some shape or form. Two seconds might have been worth the effort. He beats Fisher Black, and we'll see if this belt will be decided by two seconds with Vingo or not. But yeah. um, hey, it happened. But after the intermediate sprint, it's kind of like relaxed moment again. Break had been called before this intermediate sprint, and there was this moment, you noted it, that Castro Viejo was getting bottles for Ineos, yeah. and he's trying to move up on the left side of the road, and he does that by going into like a little bit of a gravel section by the side of the road. Oh, he goes off the road. Yeah. yeah. So he goes off the road to pass riders, to pass the peloton basically, and pop up in front of the peloton. Yeah. Is that a good thing to do or not? Well, I mean, again, he, he does exactly what Masiuk did in Tour of Flanders. He, yes, it looks like he does it skillfully. Yes, when he re-enters, he's well clear of anybody else. He doesn't cause any danger in this instance. But when he pops out, there's no way he can't know when exactly that gravel ends. Yeah. And it does end shortly after, and then the, the foliage and, and whatever they're farming comes back in, and he, he would have had to have just jumped in like Matthew. So it's the same move, right? Just, just remember that Matthew, yeah, it was bad what he did. He crashed guys into a flanders. He got DSQ'd, and he should have been fined. But remember, he got a three-month suspension for that given to him three months later and people do exactly the same thing probably every single race yeah. and also this wasn't like like castro did it in the same mentality of masiuk it wasn't that he got bumped to get clear and, yeah. and so he's like i have to I either crash or i go into this ditch he's trying to procure an advantage and moving up positions by using not the road so i mean it's just He's not going to get fined for it, but just just note it so that when someone else does it again, like with sprint deviations, that the inconsistent application is probably why riders will keep doing this. Exactly. It incentivizes people to keep trying it because the, the failure rate is limited compared to the success rate of riders doing it. And the fact that only one person has been properly fined for it, even though multiple riders have even crashed riders doing it, like Quibus, for example, and was it Rick de Pono or Hans Wevelgem, one of the two, that same exact scenario, crashed a rider, crashed a group, actually. No consequences. Maciejuk does it, and the media rises up against it. As in, it's loud on the media, social media against it. Oh, he crashed everybody. Then they react. Then that's a bit of a shame in my head that it has to go through the, through the yeah, the popularity yeah. takes it first before the UCI steps in to do anything about it. But anyway, we'll step forward from that. We had a crash not that long later. It's a crash involving GC Cus, and I know when I saw GC Cus on the floor, I was panicking, but. The man had the softest landing I've ever seen in human history. He like rolled. It was a crash. They're on the left side. They were kind of spaced out. They weren't in the tight bunch on the right-hand side. And yeah, he just lands and rolls onto Pierre Latour's head and shoulder and, and takes a nice soft landing on him. So I doubt he'll be banged up unless a, a chain ring went into his leg or something, uh, which it didn't look like. He got up pretty quickly. Uh, and he got on the Arkea train. No Yumbos waited for him. I don't think they needed to because the Archikeo train with Hofstetter who was involved yeah. just drilled it for him. So. Was Eitebrooks also involved? I think so. I don't know if he actually went down or mm -hmm. maybe had to like stop in the middle of the melee, but he certainly was waiting. But 
that was far enough from the finish. They got up quick enough. The peloton was still chilling. Yeah. Like we're on, they were on this, they're not in town yet and it's a headwind. It's just all blocked up at the front and, you know, Kuz had kind of been chilling at the back. We see Vingegaard with Van Baal and Volta on the right, Ineos are in the middle. Remco's moved up with his, his domestiques. Dainese with DSM were on the right-hand side uh, as well. But, man, Dainese just can't... I don't know if he was involved in a crash, but he's like... Wait, he lost eight minutes today. He must be involved in a crash. Um, Probably was involved yeah. in some shape but or form. But that's the thing, yeah. It's, it's a lot of work to keep guys safe, and then in the end, a crash can take you out. So, yeah, it was a nervous run-in. There was also just... I don't know. They just go through these towns. There's so many roundabouts. Um, every single... And then there was Alperson as well into the last six kilometers. Intermarche driving it for Hugo Page, Groupama for Watson, and oh, no, no, for Aski and Martin, keep Martinez safe. Alperson for the stage favorite, Groves. And Alperson is this big roundabout coming up, and they decide at the last minute to swing from left to right as they look at it. And the left side was quicker, and it was crazy. It was just everyone's so fresh that. And luckily, it wasn't the first stage. People maybe are a little bit calmer. But yeah, just after that roundabout, I think they're going to another town area and there's another huge pileup. And like, it probably is a catalyst to more stress that these crashes end up happening. For example, the, cra the crash with Cousins involved maybe make it a bit more stressful for the next 10 kilometers. And then another crash happens, so more stressful for the next 10 kilometers. And that crash that you mentioned, the one with, it was above three kilometers to go. So the time losses, the gaps that are created today means that you're losing the time if you're not back by the peloton yeah. by the finish line. And it looked like an Alpecin rider, I don't know if it was Plunkard or Janssen's, someone ended up hitting the back wheel of Groves in their train. Yeah. So the rider, the Alpecin rider behind Groves hit his back wheel and that just caused a domino effect towards him crashing then the next two riders crashing and some more riders crashing and that was a... That was a rough crash and we lost one of our big ones there because Damon Adamsman was involved and I'll be honest, it didn't look that good. So I really hope that Adamsman's injuries are relatively okay. He ended up with a neck brace around his neck, which yeah. is usually not a, a good sign, but that's a GC rider gone. But at the moment, I care more about him being healthy than him being out of the race. Yeah, it was really, really fast, high-speed crash because and the Ineos guys could, had nowhere to go. They couldn't see it coming. It's a straight line. Alberson are in a line. There's not even much pressure on their left or right. And the guy just clips his, clips Groves back wheel. And um, yeah, that's also why it's a, it's a fine line, I think, and a slippery slope when you start giving Masayuk three months. And then it's like, where do you draw the line? Because at the end of the day, like, is inattention and carelessness punishable? No, because then, you know, everyone will get punished for causing any crash. But not, not certainly not a good one. And the Ineos guys, as I said, had nowhere to go. Thomas, I can see Lugrapetto on Twitter has taken a screenshot. And I can see Thomas, who's listed as losing 24 seconds on the stage, is he's, he's not on his bike, uh, but he's standing. And so he, he was caught up in that crash too. Okay. He's lucky to have, and he, he was probably, I think he, might, he must have crashed because he's not just waiting with a foot down. So it's obviously in hindsight with, it, with whatever happened in the race so far, but Gana already doing well in a sprint. We see that Thomas has evaded a crash in the first sprint stage because Gana came too far, far, too fast at 10 kilometers to go while the crash danger was at 6k to go. And Gana's easily the rider that goes forward with their GC rider in the wheel, but goes too fast to the point that he burns out so quickly that he's not really protecting their GC leaders as much as he probably could in the first sprint stage at least. Then he went for a sprint in stage two, but the more I go through this Grand Tour, the more I'm kind of feeling like they're missing Lucro. Yeah, Heideck was very good yesterday, but you're right, Lucro is that captain. I also would say, you know, I don't think Thomas crashing and losing time 24 seconds and Aaronson crashing means that it's not still correct to let Ghana go for the yeah. sprint. I think there's other things... And this is, this is a really, uh, there's nothing else to talk about in the stage, so let's just, this is the worst time to crash. 5.2 k's to go, you're outside the three kilometer zone, and it's six and a half minutes to the finish. So yeah. you're fucked. Like, even if Thomas didn't touch down badly, you're not going to make it back. Um, in time, you're going to lose time. How many people have lost time because they were, had to pause for a second behind a crash? 
in this world tour or tour de France recently. And how many people have lost time because they were in the front third of the pack and crashed. And I think GC teams need to take a really hard look at if you're not going to be able to maintain front position, is sitting behind another team, fighting for position in the middle of the pack the safest thing to do? Or, like, if you sit on a sprint stage like this where there's 50-meter gaps with frail... You, and by the way, you've spent no energy up yeah. to this point. Up to this point, you've done nothing. If you sit the back of the peloton with Castro, Frailer, Hyduk around you, around Thomas, and you avoid crashes and just you're freewheeling all the space like the other people who didn't crash yeah. all the, at the back, like, and say there is then a crash, they'll bring you back. You've got a three-man TTT, they'll bring you back. I, I'm, unless you get extremely unlucky. In a Tour de France, different, because you could have fucking five proper sprint trains. But in this Vuelta, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like it's Alperson. Half of Alperson are not gonna keep you behind. So I really think teams need to take a long hard look at are they a real are they creating more danger for themselves? It's like a self I think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, honestly. It's very possible, but it's also a sign that I feel like there's cycling's always been in the baby steps when it comes to data and sport. And I feel like it would be so much lovelier if this sport had so much more data analysis in the sense like that. For example, like a map of the peloton where you could see where the most likely crashes happen yeah, in the last 10 zones. kilometers. Hot zones like that. I don't know. I don't know the terms for it. I'm not a an NFL or whatever sport, rugby yeah. person, whatever, where they have these hot zones. But I feel like on basketball, NBA, for example, you've got these hot zones of where are the shots taken? Where do crashes happen in the peloton? Yeah. Um, is it like that there was more data in this sport it's not in that the guy sense. last wheel yeah the guy last wheel in the peloton anecdotally peloton to me, today <laughs> i mean he yeah but he wasn't even the last wheel they're not the guys crashing um i think yeah it's really something to look at and i personally i don't think roglic should be trying to fight for position yeah i've already said multiple times i think it's much better for him and uh, to just be with tratnik be a bit further back he was and, here no and, well, I feel like that's what he was doing. He stayed with Tratnik and they kept a bit of space around them, not trying to dive into positions. Yeah. Because during this last crash, I also recall seeing or you pointing out that Roglic was being paused a bit and he wormed through them last minute and then went off again. So Roglic did not lose time? He didn't lose time, no. So, Thomas is losing time. But yeah, it's a bad crash. It's it's yeah something to think about. And I think it also depends on rider to rider. I think if you have Nathan Van Hooydonk and Dylan Van Baal and Vingegaard who never loses the wheel... That's fine. You can do the traditional stuff. Yeah. If you want to use Ghana for the sprint or if you have a Roglic, you might need to do something a bit different. But ultimately, yeah, not great for Aronsman. And this sprint just gets messier and messier and messier. There's no TV footage that of half of what's going on. They're in a town with high rises. So every corner pretty much is the, the helicopter shot is blocked by the high rises. I'm watching Aula because he's an easy jersey to spot, the national yeah. champ. And he's just every corner dive bombing under Vandenberg. Every single corner, he's moving up positions. Didn't cause a crash, but he's suddenly like 12th wheel into 5th wheel into, yeah, really, really good position. He's also got David Gonzalez with him. Um, another Caja Rural, Rural rider, and I think Robbie Heiss might have crashed. I uh, don't know. I don't know, but Albertson's lead out was not as good. He crashed a few days ago. Yeah, I don't know if Groves said in the post-race interview if he did crash, but Groves was not there. Oliveira moved up late. And then there's this last corner, right-hander, 300 meters to go. Jeffrey Soup is first pretty much through the corner, opens up his sprint. Everyone else behind Soup blocks the quicker sprinters. Aula, Groves, and Milano all get blocked. And then Milano comes up, blocks Groves, blocks Aula himself, and then dies on his run. And Jeffrey Soup <laughs> manages to win the stage. <laughs> from the 35-year-old from Total Energy, the beard, um, who won his first race in a pro race in, like, I think... A long time. Well... He won his first pro race... A Misa Bongo he won, but... In a Misa Bongo in 2011, and then he won his second pro race, according to PCS, in a Misa Bongo stage one this year. So 12, 12 years between drinks, and then this year he wins a Vuelta stage. He said he wasn't even supposed to do the race. Yeah. Peter Moles was supposed to do this race instead of him, I recall correctly. And then he stepped in last minute 
uh, or was selected last minute to come to this race, and now he takes the, the biggest victory of his career. So shout out to Joffrey Soup, to be honest. He's always been a lead out. If my memory serves me right when it comes to uh, Joffrey Soup, he was at Kofidis, I think, lead out for Buhani for yeah. multiple years. He was at FDG beforehand. If I recall, was 2014 the year where Buhani was still there and then he moved with Buhani towards Kofidis? There was Demar, Demar Buhani beef. Yeah, there was beef between Demar and Buhani. And then in 2014, Buhani moved from FDG to Kofidis and his lead out, Soup, joined him throughout that. So that's what happened there. You said it. He also does loads of these African races like uh, Amisa Bongo is the biggest one because he ends up winning there as well. And that, that's been... It's it's interesting how you see a lot of like French teams, pro teams also dive into that calendar as well. And it's pretty cool to see. They sometimes clean it up, which is a bit unfortunate for the uh, African talent locally. But it's probably also cool to uh, be able to measure them against teams that are a pro team like Total. And actually the interim posted coincidentally yesterday. This is very, very strange. But yeah, there was a military coup in Gabon uh, at the moment. And that means that... Tropical Mr. Bongo might be a threat in January. Bongo was the president, no? Yeah, President Bongo. Is he also the president of the Bingo Bongo tour? In Benelux. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Sorry, I was a terrible <laughs> joke. <laughs> but he's been he's been arrested according to Innering. So yeah. um yeah, it's just very curious that Pitt has a part in Jeffrey Soup, the Mr. Bongo specialist, wins the biggest race of his career and just a huge this is one of these huge upsets. Yeah. He's probably this is the biggest upset of the year. Like to win it. This guy's not even like soup is like a a very average lead out man. Um, in mostly dot pro and two. He was races. a good lead out, but now he's like a an average pro team lead. They out. put him into this race as filler because VMOs was uh, sick or injured. I think pretty good filler, huh? And they yeah. up winning Gavidia style by going to the last corner first. <laughs> and listen, to be honest, like I'm happy that some other teams are winning. Like yeah. I don't need I don't need to see Yumbo winning every day or Alperson winning every sprint. It gets pretty tedious actually after a while. So but, it is nice to have him first and then Aula finish really fast second. If he got out earlier, he would have beaten him, but he didn't. Uh turns third, Milano fourth, gross fifth, Vandenberg sixth, Gonzalez seventh, Page eighth, Ghana ninth, Govacar tenth. Sorry, Benji, you're gonna say. It's it's kind of like I feel like the vault has evolved it kind of a, a tiny bit because Back in like the 2016 days, I was watching La Vuelta and it was the kind of Vuelta where you had Jampi Tuker fighting against Jonas van Genechten and Johnny Meersman, also similar yeah. level sprinters as, as maybe not Joffrey Sue, but the ones we see here at this race. Worse than Groves, I would argue. And then we evolved into an era where Philipson would be coming, where Akerman would be coming to these races, and you saw Bennett at this race. And... I feel like we're kind of in that 2016 era where we do see those this is worse, those man. third tier level sprinters at the race. Soup, like I'm happy he won, but <laughs> credits for him. Like, <laughs> yeah, he, he was in position, and him and Allah took a lot of risks, and maybe there is that. Groves already won a two stages, and Milano's on much bigger money than these guys, and these guys are fighting for contracts, they're fighting for bonuses, and you know they're not on a lot of money and. They want to, they, they risk a lot more in these corners and they get rewarded. What is curious to me, and listen, 180 UCI points too for Total Energy. Yeah. Like it's a lot of points. Aula's racked up. He must be Kaha's biggest point scorer. He's on, oh, he's not done that well. He, oh, he's on nearly 200 UCI May. points from this welter so far. And he's going to do well. I remember the days when I was saying, oh, Louis Aula would be winning every single stage. And was it Basque Country two years ago or so on this nearly podcast? Nearly this. He's actually leveling up. And I, I remember Aular because he came in my attention because of my pro cycling manager life before this. And because he was in uh, PowerTag, Matrix PowerTag, I think, like a, a local team somewhere in Southern America. And I recall him being the, the most winning rider of that year in 2019. I don't know oh, exactly he, he if that's won, true. He won like a million races. <laughs> But that's the team. That's the team. Francisco Mancebo's on. He won five stages in a row at the Vuelta of Venezuela. Beast. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, is this guy a better bunch sprinter than Garcia Cortina? Like a hectic large bunch sprint. It's difficult. I can't say that. Not, current Garcia Cortina, yeah. Because Garcia like Mozzato. Garcia Cortina says something weird, like he's trying to help Mars a little bit, but he's nowhere in this sprint. And you know, it's also weird. Like Nico Dens, 
surely his sprint is good enough to be... Nikias Arndt is a good example. Yeah, Nikias Arndt used to win these. But I'm surprised Nico... That's the, the interesting thing. There's guys like Court, there's guys like Nico Dens who, in a small breakaway, yeah. they can almost beat a bunch of sprinters if they get the timing right. And But in the hectic sprints like this, it's a completely different skill set, which they don't seem to have. Could Kasper Peterson for Quickstep already have podium the a race here? Or Probably, yeah. would you reckon he doesn't necessarily deserve the freedom in the same way Ghana is getting for Enios? Yeah, I think Remco is obviously much more realistic to podium the race than, yeah. than Thomas or Aronsman was. So um, I think, yeah, I think, I think Remco's team is light on enough. that they, <laughs> um, I don't think he'd, he'd like that too much. But yeah, that was the stage. I think a lot of teams will be thinking, should we have, should we have left our sprinter at home? Gaviria. Yeah, Gaviria, Damar, uh, anybody really. Sam Bennett? The team's here on Bora. Because uh, he didn't go to the tour, eh? Yeah, why didn't they take him? Did he go to the Bingo Bongo tour or am I drunk? I think he did. No, he didn't. He didn't. Went to the Deutschland tour and DNF Bamer Classics and he doesn't no. look that great at the maybe, moment, though. Maybe he's in the doghouse with Bora again. Who could have seen that coming? Um, anyway, that was the stage. Tomorrow's, uh, yeah, not, not the most memorable one, but certainly Total Energy will be very happy. I think they've, they've not had the best year. And to be honest, the Sagan experiment has been a waste of money. Yeah. Um, even the marketing stuff. Sagan could have won a sprint at the Vuelta. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, if, if, he, if he wanted to take the risks he used to, yeah, for yeah. sure, today he could have. But... And this is Roman D. This is yeah, yeah. Roman D level sprint, no? Maybe lower, yeah. <laughs> maybe. This is your lowest status. <laughs> your deep moment in the career. Oh, it's, just, it's, just, it's just super technical and it's just strange, yeah. Anyway, yeah. And it's not a hard stage before, whereas Romandy is a bit more thinned out. Anyway, tomorrow it should be certainly thinned out from Denia, where literally every rider uh, spends their time in January and December. They go over Valdebo, which, like the pros, do a million, million times in winter as well, down in Valencia, 165 k's, and they're going into the Costa Blanca interior, just north of Alicante. And it's hilly, 3,500 meters plus of elevation in only 166 kilometers. All short climbs or not too difficult, but just up and down all day. Uh, you know, 8K, 6%, 4K, 6%, 9K, 5%, 11K, 5% with a bony sprint on top. Then rolling plateau, bit of flat on a, about 600 meters elevation. And then 3.8K, 11.5% up to Jorret de Cati. A very, this is, now we're in Rampas territory. I think this is the first proper rampas in humanas stage with Ooh, he said it i know the first 1600 meters of the climb is only nine percent then 800 meters at 15 no wow then another six the next 1.6 k is average is 14.5 percent so yeah that's what you want if you don't know we've got rampa and humanas on our shirt right we do on the back of the lrcp merch shirt at shop.lanternrouge.com we have rampas in humanas and so forth all on there. Um, <laughs> Literally. Even crosswind disappointment, which we had today. Uh, like, to, to clear something up, the typo in disappointment on the back of the shirt, is that on purpose or not? Well, maybe it's a play on, you know, the disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. this stage looks for to me like a very similar stage as stage six, where... The same opportunities are possible. The same breakaway shenanigans is possible. But does the GC still allow for that? I'd argue Quickstep is one rider less than the break formation on, on stage six. So they're a bit weaker for that. But are they also the team that people are going to be attacking? Probably. I reckon UAE with Solar can still get away with doing that. But can Sepkas even get in the breakaway again? Oh, I don't think so. Maybe. I mean... First of all, you, it all starts, you have to go with Martinez. Yeah. You have to bring Martinez with you, number one, because FDJ team is very strong on this parkour. And if you don't bring Martinez with you, Stora, Mollard, uh, Askey and Co, they will chase you down yeah. and you're going to get nowhere. So you have to bring Martinez with you, number one. And who will then react to Martinez being in the breakaway? I don't think <laughs> UAE, Yambo or Quickstep would care if he yeah. took another two minutes. Well, he's, two he, minutes, yeah, but... He's going to get smoked in the TT, yeah. and then they can... Yeah. 
look, I think Lenny's really good. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but there's there's some big stages coming up. So I think I think Yumbo got to try get one of their three leaders in the break again with with Lenny Martinez. And the question then is, will UAE would they be happy with Coos Martinez and Soler in the breakaway again? Uh, UAE, yeah. Just put Soler in it. My microphone is trying to get Why away you from put me. Put it down. <laughs> it was trying to get away from me, but I'd argue that Soler is still their response to that. And then I'm curious how other teams will respond. As in, if I'm UAE, yeah. And it's, if Coos is in the breakaway, would you be happy with Soler going with Coos and Coos? Gaining two minutes and Soler gets to gain another two minutes. It's not ideal, but it's a better situation than not being in there and because being in there in the first place. Otherwise, you're in the chasing position. So mm. I don't think it's a great position. I don't think it's a terrible position. It's like an average, I'll survive, it's better than nothing situation. I also, I also don't think Koos is that much better than Soler on this climb compared to the other day, yesterday. The problem is, if you send Almeida or Ayuso in that breakaway, then... The others are going to react, and then Emko will react, then uh, Jumbo Visma will react with Roglic and with Vingegaard. So but I think Roglic with Ayuso or Almeida is fine. Yeah, but then Emko will be in the break as well. So then, then the entire yeah. Well, if if they're not, then that's a massive mistake. But that's that's the situation. I'm saying these teams need to try and create because Bagioli's out. No Alaphilippe who controlled it last year. Quickstep didn't get the break they wanted yesterday. I think UAE and Jumbo got to go round two. Round two, time to put Quick Step under huge pressure. I know Remco had a weak moment yesterday, but kick a good man while he's down, as I always say. If he's not feeling good <laughs> and the team's not feeling good, you've got to put them under pressure when, uh, when they're not feeling good because what if he's flying in week two on those huge stages and all of a sudden you have a big problem? Um, if I'm Total Energy, I'll try and be in the breakaway again with Steph Cross, yep. again with multiple riders around him. If I'm Landa and Pools, I'll try it again. They're like on... I'll do it again. They bop, are bop. fourth and 16th uh, GC. Yes, they're ahead of Evenepoel and Soho in GC, but they're not as dangerous for GC for those other riders, but they can get a gap of three minutes if it works again. So that is valuable. Yes, Grupama is a danger. You need Gru, you need Martinez with you, you have or, to have Martinez with or you, they yeah. will chase you all day long. So it is going to be very difficult for Grupama to control them. I know, and that's why I think Martinez should just trust his instincts again. And if he sees if he sees Yumbo mm -hmm. or a serious Yumbo or guy jumping or Remco or Remco, I what mean, if Remco goes in the breakaway? Like, why not? I, I well, actually, because then Yumbo will just chase you with Tratnik and Van Baal and Volta. Well, unless <laughs> they're also in there and then your ease misses it. It's yeah. all, it's, we're it, not going to see it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe we will. Do you know, Luke, if it's, it's a Saturday stage, will we get extended coverage? Uh, we'll get Luke will look that up for us. But because, listen, we didn't need to see the early part of the stage. I will say the TV direction has not been brilliant at this Vuelta so far. Um, in this sprint in particular today was. Not the best uh, cuts, uh, but I, I very much hope they've extended the coverage tomorrow because I may, maybe I'm jinxing it, but I think I think Valdebo, bang, I think all the teams should kick it off because who's going to control for the G, for the stage from the GC group, Benji? Because if I'm a director mm -hmm. of Total, as you said, I'm thinking, no, Yumbo aren't just going to control all day. Quickstep won't control all day yeah. after yesterday, so it's a free breakaway win again. I don't know either, but I think the team that I'm most looking forward to seeing attack is Bora. As Brilliant. in, I still think Jonathan Brooks is far away to be able to do that. I think Vlazov as well could be in a breakaway, even though he's not really that rider in my head to do that. Kemno is going to be a good rider to have with him. And Vlasov's fucking good in Valencia normally, where we are. <laughs> yeah. he, he is, and this, this finish climb really suits him. He's good on these sort of climbs. Like, his team as well, like, if you've got Nico Denz with you, for example. You've Plus got, Lenny. Yeah, those two riders together with Kianaitabruks, good luck. That, that's, then, then the other teams might start kicking in, but it's still Kianaitabruks. So I'd, it's kind of like, kind uh, of like Hindley. I would take Kianaitabruks pretty seriously. He was with. It's kind of like Hindley. We also took Hindley this seriously as a podium candidate before the Tour de France. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I think I, pick, I picked him for maybe third. So you're right. Um, who's winning the stage? I'm going to go with Roglic. Um, <laughs> Okay. I thought he looked the strongest of anybody yesterday on the climb. Yeah. Um, I think this sort of finish really suits him. Normally, I think I picked Ramco in the preview. I'm not seeing right now those 
San Sebastian 2022 lights what's out of him. If, yeah. if we were seeing them, he wouldn't he, have been dropped. He wouldn't be getting dropped. Um, because otherwise, I, I would have thought Remco would have just walked this finish, frankly, actually. Um, but but he doesn't seem to have that at the moment. Descent finish, no risk, no glory. Uh, so I think Roglic wins the stage from the break. <laughs> Everything made sense until you yeah. said from the break. <laughs> Imagine. Nah, that's impossible. He won't get the break. But yeah, I, I think Roglic wins. Maybe it. Maybe someone gets in the break, like you said, like Jan, <laughs> and then Yumbo and the other teams think we can't let this guy take too much time, yeah. comes back, and, and then the GC group somehow wins. That, that's very possible. And like, hmm, who will help control Groupama? Who will help Groupama to control a breakaway formation? It completely depends on who's trying to get in the breakaway in the first place. So it could be actual chaos in the first hour. That's what I mean. I think it's going to mean carnage. And Luke's confirmed there's no images for the first two hours, so... We're never going to know. Yeah, we'll be relying on the race center, which <laughs> says your rider's in two different groups. I'm going to go ahead and say that the winner is going to be... I'm going to steal your pick from two days ago. I'm going to go for Solaire. Yeah, it's a nice stage for Solaire. I, I also... So roll it to my GC pick from the, from the GC group. My pick from the breakaway is... Not uh, Solaire, because I took him. Can I, if I pick two French riders, do they count as one? <laughs> Come on, that's got to be allowed. That's, yes. Lenny Martinez and Bardet. The two guys <laughs> that came behind Kuzi. It's not the genius pick, but I think Bardet, Martinez, a bit tongue in cheek, realistically. Butrago is a good one for this one. Red Jersey ain't getting in the break, most likely. Butrago, Butrago is a good one for this one. He went on Trey Chimi, which is. Where was he two days ago from the breakaway? He's not that great, if I recall correctly. Uh, 11th. He crashed there before he finished 90 seconds behind Koos. Consequences on... will still be there, though, I think. Mm, yeah. Two days rest. Trey Chimi was identical. He was very good there after a hard day. I think he's a good chance, but yeah, I'm going to go with Roman Bardet uh, to win this from the breakaway uh, with Roglic taking time in the GC group. Okay, fuck it. Ayuso was going to win from the group so, on, on Les Prairies, he was, he was the best of the rest behind Remco. And remember, this, again... On Les Prairies last year, Remco, which was 3Ks, 13%, a harder climb. He torched everybody. He put 34 seconds into Ayuso and like a minute into Roglic just about. And must. Like, if I have to be completely focusing on what we've seen so far, and Roglic is the favorite for the stage, in my opinion. But regardless of that, I had Ayuso picked for this Vuelta, so I need to support my man. Ayuso's going to win this stage. Uh, no, I think this is a good climb for Ayuso because he got, he got yeah, worked by the tactics yesterday. I don't I think, think he drops Roglic, and I think Roglic is a faster sprinter. True, it's a downhill, but he's not he he's thrown a death downhill. Yeah, Ayuso's a good descender, but Roglic isn't Ayuso can beat him in a sprint, flat sprint, no problem. Ayuso will torch him. He's been shit at intermediate sprints. I have no confidence in Ayuso's sprint anymore. I think Ayuso I don't believe it anymore. Yeah, fair it's enough. fake. I think Ayuso can beat him in the sprint. But yeah, we, we I think we're broadly in in, in line with what we think will <laughs> we happen. Said every rider on the start no, list. No, break will win. Ayuso Roglic will kick off behind most likely and um It'll be very, very interesting, and the most part, interesting part of the stage we probably won't see. Anyway, uh, also in other news, uh, Daniel Benson reported on GCN, I think yesterday or two, no, yesterday rather, that Carlos Rodriguez has in fact agreed. But this is it's very. I'm not. I'm not criticizing Daniel here. I'm criticizing Rodriguez and his agent. Um, they've agreed a four-year deal. It's not signed yet. It's like, well, if we, we know one thing about Carlos Rodriguez so far. You'll believe he's on your team when you see him <laughs> at the January camp in Denia in, in your colors next year. So I'll wait until it's signed because you never know what he and his agent might and pull. That's always the case with Aquadro transfers. If you don't know Aquadro is the agent of yeah. Rodriguez, he's also been the agent of Amador and Carapaz during their crazy transfer seasons. Amador wasn't allowed to ride for the team that he's currently on or the previous team that was currently on, because of a transfer mishap in similar yeah. fashion where last minute he switched based on a, a signed deal already and there was drama around that. So this isn't a Quado special, to be honest. Like, it happens every Sosa's, single time. What happened with Sosa? Wasn't there yeah. something funny there? So Bernal and Sosa, I recall them having been signed. Um, Sosa had been signed by, by one team and then a different team took him over. Trek. Yeah. Loser's Trek. Um, but... Isn't he also the kind of man that kind of like signs a rider for multiple years at 
an Androni back in the day and then he tries to benefit from that to have them buy out the contract? Oh, I think that's fair enough, to be honest. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have a problem with that if, if he... Uh, I mean, some teams in World Tour do that where they sign and you'll have seen it with some GC prospects. They sign them to mm -hmm. a very long deal and you think, why the fuck would they sign that? Um, locking up that long and then it basically gives them some security and then it's actually a low enough price that there's a buyout clause in there and they can go to a, a bigger team if that team comes knocking and they progress as they expect to. So, But yeah, it's... Um, but no, it, all jokes as well. I'm not really joking, but that, that discussion aside... He's staying at Ineos. Like, he, he's, he's reneged on the Movistar thing. He's staying at Ineos four years. Ill. Movistar are going to be compensated according to Benson and also what I've heard from various people. Um, and I think, the, I think the reality is that compensation will actually be... Because Movistar signed... Their pre-contract with him was probably such a good deal for Movistar and the compensation is based on the multiplier... It's how many years that he's broken times that salary. Because it was actually such good value, they get less money uh, than if they'd signed him to like, you know, four years at five million a year, then theoretically it's a 20 million buyout, <laughs> which they're not getting. Obviously, that's not what they, <laughs> that's not what they signed him to in the pre-contract. So um, I think it, it, it all makes sense for Ineos. They had to keep him. Certainly, they've set many, many millions of euros on fire. Uh, to keep him they have yeah like because not only is it they now have to pay him significantly more in his new contract for four years than they would have if they extended him in 2022 last Correct. year so it's not just the pay the compensation of Movistar. they were but, late yeah very late um but also when it comes to the transfer itself you said it it's a good transfer for both parties carlos rodriguez will most likely get the freedom to choose where he wants to do GC, most likely Tour de France, will he, yeah. he will straight up get. Tour of Welter will be his leadership every year. Exactly. So he's the most future-proof rider on their team when it comes to GC. Yes, Thomas can ride GCs, but he can pick... Minimum co-leader with Thomas next year. Uh, he, he's better than Thomas. Probably in the way their trajectory is going. Yeah, mate. Yeah, probably. So I see that in that sense, but also because they missed out on everybody else as well, that... He's kind of their last hope for the for the future for them. So he needs to be the, their man combined with the riders they have to grow. Like an Arden's one is also in team, but it sucks that he crashed out today. But also yeah. next to that, I didn't see him as the rider that he would win a Grand Tour anyway time. at the moment. Yeah. He hasn't had that progression yet. He's like a rider that might podium a, a Giro at some point. But G Giro suits him much, much more than the yeah. Belter, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, it's hard to say. Just like with Thomas, I believe that. Thomas Giro suits him much, much more than the Welter. But yeah, it's, a, it's, it's really interesting. I think for Movistar, it, it's obviously a loss, but it's not much. Like if, if a rider doesn't want to come to your team anymore, at least they get paid something. Yeah. You know, at least they get paid. Obviously, they would have loved to have the next Spanish GC hope, but it ain't it. Do they then never learn their lesson to just... The problem is they can't learn their lesson. As but in, what, can, what did they do wrong here? Yeah, they, they can't learn their lesson of like, oh, we won't handle with the same with the same agent anymore because that agent is responsible for every bloody talent that comes Mate, out of South America. Every Hispanophone, the best Hispanophone riders yeah. are with are with Aquadro, except maybe Ayuso because because they did fight with him a few times during the Carapaz saga. Yeah, oh, Movistar. Yeah, yeah, Movistar. They stopped signing. Yeah, since Carapaz, Movistar felt like he flicked them. Um, yeah, and it's like, well, and then Sosa was the first one. No, there was there someone before Sosa, or was Sosa the first one back? But yeah, it's like, it's the same thing with Ineos with, um, with McQuaid. Like, yeah. you know, the... Trinity, or? Yeah, yeah, they like get a bit, yeah, the Trinity, um, Andrew McQuaid, um, to be clear, because there's the two, Gary and Andrew, but you can't, with these powerful agents, of which McQuaid is one of the most powerful, and a quadras, or they, they, by powerful, I mean the the strongest roster of riders, you can't just say, oh, well, I'm not going to deal with you. It's like, well, yeah. okay, <laughs> good luck getting the next Hispanophone to a Lavinia winner. Because yeah. <laughs> if you're not going to deal with me, um, like, like Bernal was uh, back in 2017. But is, in my opinion, if I see that situation, then I'm also feeling like Aquadro is indirectly hurting the value of their riders sometimes. Because if mean, you do alienate one of the two teams that are interested in your in your riders, then you are hurting the bidding war between those two teams. 
it certainly makes it less likely that they're going to take your your Amador package deal. Yeah. Uh, like Amador with Carapaz to EF. Uh, and certainly not an agent who's, you know, immune to mistakes either, which is, I mean, the Rodriguez thing I think has worked out actually pretty yeah. well for, for, for Rodriguez and, and for him. But does he benefit extra from the fact that there's been two contract signs? Uh... Not really. I mean, he doesn't really benefit. Like, if they just waited and never signed the Movistar contract, pre-contract, then there'd still be the Ineos offer. And that, in fact, Ineos might actually be able to pay Rodriguez more money because Ineos have to allot money to pay for the compensation of Movistar. But, I mean, does he get more commission then because of that or no? No. He, okay. he, the, the agent's commission is off the base salary, so uh, the pre-contract didn't help that. Okay. Uh, but also, like, Quintana last year, they actually didn't, sign the extension and it was announced yeah and that way Arkea didn't from memory terminate his contract they just didn't sign his extension yeah after the tramadol case and it would have been quintana would have been on much stronger grounds to argue if he had that extension signed tramadol is not a doping violation you cannot terminate not like it's not but it, it wasn't yeah you cannot terminate my contract for what is not an anti-doping violation. Now, maybe an MPCC team would have a clause in there would, that says they could. I don't know that. Would there be a clause that says hurting the reputation of a team and yeah, that, that indirectly hurts the reputation of the team? That's, that's usually in there. So, But that's really the... the but it, you got more to argue with. If They're not obliged to sign your extension Yeah. Um, if they don't want to. And then there's, you're left holding nothing. So yeah. uh, that was curious last it's, year. It's the same thing with the Ineos Falls and Verona transfers who wasn't si a signed contract yeah, yet. Yeah, we'll sign you. Yeah, we'll sign you. Yeah, it's like if you, if you get an email <laughs> that, okay, uh, you'll sign, then then you probably shouldn't be basing it just pure, purely off the email. You Maybe they'd signed a pre-contract and Ineos fully reneged on it and Ineos were like, sue us. Yeah. I don't know. I, I doubt it. I, I don't I, think I, so. I don't know. I don't know. But it is, I think the UCI, by the way, this segues into that. The UCI, I don't know why a pre-contract is necessary. Yeah. Why for t the rider is out of con Rodriguez, for example. Rodriguez was out of contract in 2024. Why does Movistar have to wait until August 1, 2023 to sign and submit to the UCI the binding rider contract for Rodriguez for 2024, for which he is currently out of contract? I'm you can still maintain the rule that you can't publish it until August yeah. 1. But right now, the way the rules are structured, it hurts smaller budget teams with good scouting. Because if you scout a rider early and you say, fuck, he's got no like, results. Like if you got, he's got no results yet. Sign him up to 250. You sign him up to a brilliant deal, 200K a year for three years. And then the, the big rich team with, who yeah. doesn't know what they're doing comes along on July 1. And they say, that pre-contract ain't worth shit. We'll pay you 600K three times, times 200K and we're keeping him. And you're like, well, thanks for the 600, I guess, but I would have preferred the rider. Yeah. So I don't know why they can't sign the rider contract in respect of the future because it's still in the future in August 1. It's still in respect of 24. Random question right now that is somewhat related to the topic we're talking about. Let's say I am a team. My name is Benji, the team. And I have no sponsor for 2025 yet, but I'm signing riders for 2025. How is the UCI protecting riders from being signed to teams that don't have a financial security in the year that they are signed for? I mean, theoretically, they're supposed to, is really on a year by year basis with uh, the bank guarantees. But as you said, for 25, like, that's, that's not in a year. Yumbo was leaving Yumbo Visma, for example. Yep. How is Yumbo Visma able to promise to all their big riders that in 2025, 2026, they will still exist? I guess like a lot of teams, it's just faith that there'll be a sponsor, big sponsor coming in. Yeah. Um, Scary, huh? Well, it's like with BNB, and that was in a much shorter time frame with BNB. It was like, trust us, we'll have a sponsor signed up in three months when you're getting paid and that, in, that never happened and that's also that's also that that's also a different discussion because that's the same year as in i feel like uci could make it possible that teams for the next year need to 
prove before we get to the yeah, yeah. to the likely transfer season that they're solvent for the next year. But it's just an interesting thing. Yeah, and listen, like a lot of teams, most teams do not have a five-year sponsor guarantee window for all for all budget. Um, maybe UAE do because yeah. <laughs> they maybe they do um, grab the treasure chest. I think with it's kind of with the billionaire teams or the Petro State teams. It's you have more security in that you're personally guaranteed by a billionaire. So like yeah. Jim Ratcliffe. Presume is not going to renege on his contracts. He's almost personally guaranteeing through Ineos to to those riders. But there's more there's more of a fickle element where billionaires also might get bored of things yeah. and decrease budget later on. But that's not as bad as, of course, the B and B saga. Um, but yeah, it, it's a great point, Riyumbo, because they're obviously signing guys to three year extensions, four year extensions, etc. Um, as well. But yeah. Gerard de Cati tomorrow. We will have, <laughs> we forgot to say as well, we will have another watch along tomorrow. We're going to start it with about an hour to go in the stage. Make sure you subscribe to the LRCP YouTube channel to see that. It'll be scheduled pretty shortly as well as we will tweet it out and put it on our various Instagrams, the link to the live stream as well. That'll be tomorrow, probably around 4.30 uh, region, depending on how fast they go. If they go slow, maybe 4.45, but I don't think they will. So. Hopefully you can join us for that and we'll have the pot as normal afterwards. I think it'll be a cracker of a stage. Until then, ciao. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.